0: Oh, <laughs> a three episode premiere and post it but we're back for another episode we're back we
1: committed we stuck to our word and we didn't get annihilated with terrible feedback
0: yeah i mean that's always something that scares me just in general about the internet it's like no matter how well intentioned you are no matter how well researched you are no matter how kind and gentle of a person you are somebody's going to say something horrible to you at some point in time And I'm not, like, predicting that for us, but
1: it's also, like, it's the internet, so you never know. I know. I think I got a lot of, like, personal messages and, like, personal DMs from friends and family. Positive? Really positive. Oh, good. It was so nice, like... I think some of my friends and family are just so supportive. They're like, oh, I love that you're doing this. We're here for you. Great job. Nice to hear what you're doing. And it's so cute.
0: And Shout I, out to Ashley's friends and fam. I know. It's what, so what? sweet. Thank I you know. guys. Thank you guys. Can't do it without you. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of starting this podcast is the fact that people who've never known us before are starting to find us um, just off of our premiere, which I think is so cool because that, that to me is a sign that. We're having conversations other people are interested in listening to or having themselves.
1: I think that's the cool part and that's the scary part. Like you said, when you put yourself out there, and like yeah. your friends and family are always going to be there and say nice things. But there's the rest what does of the, the world, outside circle think? Yeah. yeah, and they have very strong opinions and they're not afraid to share them. Yeah, or or just pure silence, like nobody finds us and nobody. Like crickets, yeah, yeah, and we're really happy to say it wasn't crickets and it it was it was a successful drop and
0: yeah um, for two absolute nobodies in LA like <laughs> i mean obviously if we each had like 10,000 followers yeah. we wouldn't be so like oh thank you but like i have 200 and you have like what 400 or 500 something don't like that i think i think it's 300 300 yeah <laughs> so we're we're just a couple of nobodies in LA and Um, the coolest part actually is the fact that we have like people, one person in France, one person in Germany, one person in the Netherlands, one person in New Zealand, like shout out to you guys who, I don't know, probably aren't listening for the fourth episode, but maybe you are, maybe you did subscribe and you're from other countries listening to this. That just warms our hearts. Whoever's from the Netherlands we saw.
1: Yes, we one see one from you. the
0: Netherlands. Hello, hello, and India. Hello. Oh, there was one from India too. <laughs> um, so the majority of our listeners do come from the United States, um, which is expected. It's a it's a local to LA podcast, but we have a ton of listeners from Canada, Ashley. So you're welcome. I love that. <laughs> we we are global. We're officially a global podcast.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. I think maybe people in Canada right now are are like starting to get
0: snow, I'm thinking. That's something you reminded oh, me of earlier sad. is the fact that other, <laughs> other places have seasons. <laughs> like uh, I used to have horrible, um, sad seasonal affective disorder when I lived in the Pacific Northwest. But although I have like remnants of it here, it's, it's nowhere close. So I sometimes have to remember that like the rest of the world is kind of dark and gloomy right now and rainy or snowy or cold.
1: <laughs> so Not <don't>, like this. <laughs> yeah, so don't hate us. Let us bring a little drop of sun sunshine to your week. Yeah. And, a spoonful
0: uh, of sunshine yeah, medicine.
1: Exactly. We'll try to bring you some joy. Um, but yeah, we were just we we're just thrilled with how how much engagement there is. You know, we got some people talking to us on our Instagram, we've got some folks messaging us through Facebook, and we want to just say thank you and keep doing that because. The more feedback we get, and the more engagement we get, the better we can target our conversations. And honestly, we want to be targeted because, although the podcast is fun and it's for kind of having these interesting debates and entertaining you guys, it's also kind of a venue to address local issues and national issues. And we want to eventually be donating money to these things and really be making a difference. So. Your engagement actually goes a long way in allowing us to be a conduit to making donations and and trying to make a little bit of change in our community. So um, just know that that's actually really important. So thank you for doing
0: that. Yeah, I think that's maybe one of our unsaid but biggest goals is is to be able to reach as many people, not just for our own like selfish reasons, but also for like the selfless ones too. We we want to we want to um, down stereotypes and taboos, um, especially for things that maybe you're dealing with in your own communities, um, that you wish people were talking about. We want to, we want to be the start of those conversations. And although we might not be, um, fully detailed because, you know, that would take hours and hours and hours and hours to be able to cover all of these topics, at least we're getting the conversation started, um, so that you can engage in your communities as well. Um, Ashley and I are both like people, people people persons um we we just like we like to share our love as much as we can with the rest of the world and i think this podcast is our way to do that um so yeah the way that you guys are um supporting us is so heartwarming and it's just going to help us be able to help you better um the more support we get initially in the beginning um, can help us invite um, really interesting guests um, that you might be wanting to hear from, or yeah, to cover cool topics. We'd love to be able to turn this into a video at some point, like a video podcast, so we can take you around LA with us and do our podcasts, um, like in our neighborhoods. Um, that's a big in very, idea very, very
1: loud, busy places. The quality is going to drop drastically.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be fun. Um, yeah, so we, have, really we cool. have some big goals and big dreams with this podcast. And the only way that we're going to be able to get there is with you guys. So Thank you so, so, so much for this initial support. Um, uh, we're kind of like squealing over our stats like every hour, like refreshing our page. Um, it's one of, obsessive. one of the biggest accomplishments is we are in the top 50% of new podcasts. A
1: little higher, actually.
0: Uh, our, yeah, I guess it would be like 40% just based off of our stats. So um, very cool. We'd love to hit the top 0.0005% of podcasts by tomorrow. So help us out. I'm just kidding. But... <laughs> Well, it's it's a huge success for a couple of nobodies, so we're really happy.
1: We are. And I think to capitalize on that and to um, kind of live what we say, we want to give back to our early followers and our early um, listeners. You know, we actually want to give you something to, to say thank you um, and to help promote, you know, a wider audience getting engaged. So we are doing the giveaways of Christmas, so this December – we are going to give away four different gifts. Um, Each
0: episode, we'll announce uh, what the gift is. And um, you haven't, well, I guess, do you want to go over the rules? I'm like cutting in. Sorry.
1: (laughs) The rules are very straightforward. So basically, um, each week, so this week, we're going to be dropping this episode on Monday, uh, Monday the 6th. And you have until Friday the 10th to um, basically get on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. So to enter, you need to write something and- More
0: than more than one sentence. If you can leave us two sentences or more, then that will qualify you for this giveaway. Uh, so it's not a rating. So um, you can't just put a five star or two star and walk away and enter, like you need to leave some words. So whether it's positive, um, hopefully it's positive, um, yeah, that's where we would love to hear your feedback. And, uh, that's one of the, the, um, like major statistics that, uh, podcast platforms look at, um, when considering the success of a podcast. So just kind of on the inside of things, if you are wondering how you can help us grow and reach more people, uh, just in general reviews is like the number one way. Um, so yeah, if you guys leave us a review more than two sentences on Apple podcasts specifically, um, Sorry, Android users, you might have to borrow your phone friend's iPhone. Um,
1: that's just the the
0: nature of, I guess, like podcasts right now. But, um, uh,
1: yeah, if you can get on there and you can write us something, that'd be great. I mean, for metrics, write us a couple sentences. That'd be awesome. But also, just because we won't know your name if you if you leave stars, that's, that's anonymous. So yeah. get on there write us something. It'll be linked to your name. We'll add you to the draw every week you have till the following Friday. We'll draw someone out on the Saturday morning and again every week through December. So four draws and we're going to do our first one at the end of this week on the Saturday and we're really excited because the winner is going to get a coffee and snack on us. So wherever you live we will reach out to you directly and we will ask you your kind of favorite coffee shop and we'd love to send you you know a little gift card, uh, through the mail or, you know, virtually, email or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that we can treat you just like we would if you were here in LA.
0: Exactly. And we were debating like what we wanted this first giveaway to be. Um, cause like Starbucks is just like the natural, like everybody has a Starbucks locally to them, but not everybody wants to, get a coffee there or support that um, if they have a local business that they love more. Um, So that's where we really want to uh, also help your local businesses out by purchasing something from them um, by way of gift cards. So um, yeah, basically we will reach out on Saturday, uh, let you know that you won and ask you what your favorite cafe is locally. And then we will purchase you a $20 gift card so you can get a coffee and something to eat.
1: All right. So I think that's the housekeeping. We just Thought it'd be important to summarize for all of you early listeners how it's been going and say thanks so much.
0: And a big heart. Big love you.
1: So now maybe we can chat a little bit about how our week has been outside of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You said to me, Katie, it was like a little more quiet this week. Yeah as far
0: as like work goes yeah cuz um in the e-commerce space the super bowl is black friday um so we're past black friday um i think a lot of other businesses are probably relate it's just like <laughs> between thanksgiving and new year's it's just kind of like crickets you're trying to stay busy and trying to stay motivated but you're just like really looking forward to a little break time so i think everybody that not only in the company that I work at, but like the other companies that we work with, everybody's kind of in that same, like, all right, let's just get everything important that we need done. Let's yeah. get the necessities. Let's start brainstorming next year, what next year is going to look like. Um, but also it's like the first time that we're going to get like a moment of peace for a little bit. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thank goodness. It, I know you were so stressed, like leading up to black Friday with just all this extra. And there's literally so
0: much to do. So yeah. Much... yeah. Yeah. But that's work life. How's your work life?
1: Yeah, I mean it's okay. We're trying to we're trying to develop a new clinic, um. So I've kind of been given the go ahead to at least kind of preliminarily research to get um like family histories on people with mental health conditions. Sort of Ooh. like tying into what we talked about last week um, with the psychedelics. So not not for psychedelic therapies, but more for pulling like is there kind of a family link with mental health conditions that can we add something. interesting
0: because that was one of my biggest questions on that last episode is yeah. it's like well how do you know if you if your families don't talk exactly yeah that's cool so
1: I'm like good job ash yeah I'm super excited I might be like doing a little side gig at work pulling some family histories, seeing if we can um, formulate a few research questions and maybe get that going um, definitely not right now but maybe in the new year so I'm pretty stoked about that um, but otherwise yeah just how's your
0: painting stuff going because you have like what a million orders right now for <laughs> yeah. for the
1: holidays yeah hey watch you. your your <laughs>
0: I don't think we've actually like plugged it by name but Ooh. Ashley has um a painting Instagram page you can follow her at the paper poppy um and watch her I think you do time lapses there sometimes it's so cool I really you're so talented Thank and you. I don't want you to always feel like you need to highlight your medical side of things because you are so artistic and talented so Oh. Yeah, but how's that been going? Thank you. Yeah, no,
1: it's for so real <laughs> it's a little crazy. Like I literally paint till my hand hurts and I have to stop because I'm just like, okay, it's dark and, and I can't paint by like indoor lights. I just don't like the color and my wrist is hurting and I'm like, okay, just just one more minute, just get this down. Oh. It's it's like that's such an artist struggle
0: though. It's mm-hmm. like musicians struggle with that when yeah. learning guitar or just playing instruments. Of love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally like you're
1: playing, and your fingers are bleeding like it's the labor of love but I I really love it like I always just like get the picture sent to me and they write me like some really wonderful story about how the house is important or like why they want to have this piece commissioned right now and I'm always just like almost in tears like oh my god that's so important to you and I've got to make it how did perfect. you get into houses
0: because like, you you paint a lot of other things biz specifically yeah. you're commissioned for houses
1: right so I paint pretty much whatever I want um like I started with maybe, like, flowers and just, like, abstracts. And I think abstracts are my favorite because it's, like, an expression of color. And yeah, like, me you too. Know, I love abstracts. Vibes. And I think that's really cool for LA people like that kind of work here. But what people want the most from me is a portrait of their house. So I'll be very clear. I paint houses. This has been misconstrued before with people thinking I work for college pro painters. I don't. <laughs> um, I paint a picture of your house. And, um, yeah, people really like that because I think, uh, asking an artist to commission or commissioning an artist to do that for you means that you'll get a house that's sort of in their point of view. So I struggled with this a lot early on. Like I struggled to develop my style and to get it consistent, but I think that's something I'm actually seeing now. Like people are asking me for a painting of their house because they like the style that the previous work is in. So they want to see their house in that style. Exactly. So it's so exciting when like you know, I'm blown away. <laughs> like I'm painting, painting, painting. And I stand back. I'm like, yeah, okay. That looks all right. <laughs> like it, it, it's just cool to see these things come together. And why do I paint? houses? I I don't know. Maybe I just really like linear things. Like I like lines. Nice. It's so weird. It's like, a, it's a weird. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I like that. I don't, I mean, I, I know lots of artists, but I don't know a lot of artists that, I mean, it's like, I see dog portraits all the time, yeah. couple portraits, things like that. But I yeah. think houses is so cool because, um, yeah, especially if a house means a lot to you. Like, um, like if I were to commission you to, like, paint one of my houses, it would be my childhood house mm-hmm. kind of thing. I think that would be so cool. I think it's So cool. I like that. It's really yeah. special. Or for, like, do you get a lot of new families usually, like, first homes? Yeah. Or-
1: so I think... The two big players are someone who's just bought their first home or someone who's buying for a a new homeowner. And another one is for like older people who have been in that house for a really long time. And that's like a relative who wants to like say thank you to that, that family member or like remember a family home, like you're saying, Um, like something that's, they haven't lived in for a while and and they want to remember that.
0: That's so cute. So it's not, it's like, it's not just the
1: house, like, it's a special place for yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, I mean, yeah. like, if you think on some of your happiest memories, like, there, there's, there's how you're in a house at a some place. point. Everything yeah. is connected to a space. Like, my, my grandma's home. house, yeah. or my aunt's house, or something like that. It's like, yeah. there are memories associated with those places. Totally. I love that. That's so, so cool. You're yeah. going to travel, too, for the holidays? Are you going Yeah. Back?
1: Yeah, we're driving back to Canada. Oh, you're driving. Which could be crazy, considering of the province I'm from is like underwater it's like BC is flooded just oh like, like
0: literally flooded flooded I yeah. thought you were like making a joke I'm like you, you go over a bridge like <laughs> is it an island <laughs> there I mean I know summaries. it's an island
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um so it's like flooded and it, that's big news back back home and uh just the, like winter storms and just all that So it's gonna be quite a culture shock or weather shock coming from yeah, LA, going back for the holidays, but I'm sure everyone can kind of relate to. Yeah,
0: like... last year yeah. we went to Texas and we drove. Um, yeah. yeah, pretty similar weather. They have
1: similar weather.
0: Um, it's, it's actually really cold there. Really, because they don't. At least we're. I mean, when we were driving through it, there were some parts that were warm and some parts that were snowing. So like, <laughs> pretty unexpected. Unless unless you're like from Texas, like it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around how big that state is. Like I've driven, I have actually driven through most of the United States at some point in time. I have been in a car and I've driven through these states. Texas is huge. It's so big.
1: How, how long does it take to drive across?
0: Um, when we, when we drove there, we took, I think three days, Um, but that was stopping and on purpose. And at this point, um, Nestor didn't renew his license. So I was the only one driving. Um, Because, like, the COVID stuff and whatever. Um, So I was the only one driving, and I could only commit myself to, like, at most 10 hours of sitting. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a long time. It's a long time, but I grew up road tripping. Like, my parents have always thrown us in a car and told us to, like, wait 12 hours and suck it up. So it's like, (laughs) I kind of got used to it. (laughs) Um, Because, like, for a family of six, it's impossible to fly across the country. Like, it's not affordable, but driving is so much easier. Um, And especially as a kid, like, gas prices weren't so astronomical. Um, so, yeah, I, we took my mom's car last year and um, we stopped in on the way there. I think we stopped in. I don't even remember the name. Santa Fe? No, that was on the way back. And Santa Fe is like our my like dream retirement place. Really? I am obsessed with that place. It is so beautiful. Like, like. We took a ton of, we took my film camera, we took a ton of Polaroids, yeah. and those were our favorite memories, like, when we, we'd stay there for New Year's. Um, okay, so we drove from LA to Tucson, and I believe that was, like, eight hours, so we stayed in Tucson overnight. Honestly, probably the most boring part of the trip. Um But that's fine because like we're basically on the highway for like eight hours and there's like nothing to see but desert. It's actually the cool part was seeing the cactuses change. Um, Like the classic, like with the arms up, like tall cactus. We don't have those in California. We have like really cool, weird, flowy, like funky looking cactuses. They're very free. They're very, very California cactuses. But like once you get into Arizona, like you see those like... Cactuses with the arms up and, and they're so tall. It was kind of funny. We were like, we were like, I don't want to use the word fangirling, but we kind of were like fangirling <laughs> oh over, over these God, cactuses, the cactuses. The cactuses. <laughs> like literally for like an hour. I was like, Nestor, look at those cactuses. And he's like, yes, I've been watching the cactuses. <laughs> um, so that was really fun. And then we went from Tucson to uh, Marfa. So that's, yeah, to Marfa, Texas. Um, we stayed just outside of Marfa. and, um, that was one of the coolest freaking places ever. We had such a blast. Um, see, i'm I don't know if it, that was my favorite or if Santa Fe was my favorite. So, um, we stayed in this like, so Marfa is supposed to be like this weird, like quirky, artsy art installationy kind of place in Texas, and it's tiny. It's really small, but it pulls a lot of people specifically on, like, the outsides when you're driving into Marfa. Mm -hmm. They have these, like, really random, like, art installations. And the most famous one is the Prada one. It's so weird. It's so cool. There's literally, like, a Prada store on the side of a dirt road in the middle of a desert. And you can't go in, but you can, like, look inside. It legitimately looks like, look it up. Look it up. It's so cool. So Prada store in Marfa. They did an episode on The Simpsons about it because it's so weird, but also one of the coolest parts about this place is it's where um, James Dean filmed his last movie um, with Liz Taylor. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie off oh. the top of my head. Oh. So it's, it's technically outside of Marfa, but when you Google it, it's called Prad Marfa. There we go.
1: Whoa. And it legitimate, you Whoa. see, it's
0: like, it's just like, it's so random and so out of place, That's but it's so, so cool and so interesting. And it's only there to look at. You can't go inside. Can we
1: post a picture of this on the Instagram to share? Yeah, yeah, her? yeah.
0: We'll, we'll share this. It's, it's so, great. I have a couple photos. We took some on film too. This was one of the like biggest things we were excited to do. Um, so if you're ever in Texas, make a trip to Marfa. It's so worth it. Like, I don't care if you have to like go out of your way. It's one of the coolest things that coolest places in the U.S. I think. Really cool, um, hyper-local, really small. Um, and one of the other really cool things is they have this um, phenomenon they call the Marfa lights. So you drive, like, three miles outside of Marfa, and you go sit at this, like, observatory area, and you wait for these mysterious lights that have no scientific explanation, and you watch the lights dance across, like, They're like these little horizon. Dots. Yeah, it's like, it. yeah, I, it's supposed to be some sort of, like, mirage effect, I guess. They say there's no scientific explanation, but, like, there has to be.
1: <laughs> That's creepy.
0: There's, like... It's so cool. So, apparently, this was, like, one of James Dean's favorite things to do when he was filming this movie is to go watch the Marfa lights. So, I think people should just, like, make a trip out to this. Like this is wild. I don't, don't want to, like, flood the area with, like, tourists. It already is, it is a tourist attraction on its own. But this was truly one of the coolest places we've been. And we stayed in this little motel right outside of Marfa because Marfa's hotels were like $300, $400 a night, like no matter like how the (laughs) size. So we stayed in this little like old motel, which was like from like the 1950s, like an old truck stop. So cute. They redid all of the insides. It was cozy. It was like um, really like southwest looking we bought merch from them because we love them we have like the mugs and that pizza scarf uh the the thing that i let mike borrow that night on halloween that was from when we were staying there that's
1: so cute i know oh my god
0: so yeah anyways long story short um we stayed in marfa and then we i think drove three hours from there to um his family's house and then we stayed there for christmas and then we went up route 66 on the way back Um, cause I was like dying to do that.
1: Was it cool? Did it live up to expectations?
0: It it was cool in a way that felt like nostalgic for something you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, you could, you could see the remnants of what used to be. And it's kind of sad because it's like, obviously the highway is what destroyed Route 66. But when you're going into these like little small areas, it's kind of cool to be like, wow, this is like super run (laughs) down. And like, the only thing it counts on is like, the people who still come through Route 66 for the attractions. Oh, yeah, the attractions. So They're- it's it's really quiet. It's really run down. But you can tell exactly where Cars got its inspiration. Um, it's one of the most beautifully scenic ri- drives mm-hmm. I've ever done, um, especially in this area. Um, let me find it. It was after we had left Santa Fe. There is like this spot. Um, oh, we also did the Grand Canyon. That was mm, so cool.
1: Beautiful. We love the Grand Canyon too.
0: Um, but there's this there's this uh spot on the drive. I think it's called the Oatman. Oh, Sitgreaves Pass. And it's it's where that scene inspired like in cars, like Lightning McQueen and like the blue one. I don't remember her name. You know when they're driving around like the sides of the hills and it's like to be honest, I haven't seen cars. Oh. Oh everybody's seen cars okay well podcast listeners so you know that scene when lady mcqueen and like the blue car are like driving around and it's like really beautiful and he's like falling in love with her at that moment and there's like a waterfall so there's no waterfall in sick pass but that specific winding passage that they drive which is really scenic in the movie is inspired by this oh incredibly beautiful ashley so beautiful you can drive to this it's only eight hours if you didn't want to make the whole trip from la from la Wow, beautiful! So, so what's yeah. that
1: called again? Sit it's called
0: Sitgreaves Pass.
1: Go hit up Sitgreaves Pass for a very long day trip, maybe a weekend trip. Or
0: so if nice you're, area. or if you're close, if you're in Arizona or if you're, yeah, Nevada, you could easily drive there from Las Vegas. Mm. It's not very far from Vegas, but very beautiful. I highly recommend that drive. It's really scary in some ways because it's like really high cliffs. But it's straight up, we were, like, stopping every, like, five oh, minutes to, like, take photos. So beautiful, gorgeous. It was yeah. so beautiful. I definitely definitely wanted, worth the drive. I want
1: to check out more of that area, too. That's so cool.
0: Yeah. So kind of bummed we're not doing that drive again this year. But I would highly recommend, if anybody's driving to Texas from California or vice versa, like, I would recommend the Route 66 trip because you can hit Santa Fe. Um, and, yes, at Grease Pass, so awesome. But also separately, Marfa. So those are my two travel recommendations.
1: Very cool. <laughs> Long story short. Are you going somewhere else for Christmas this year?
0: My house. <laughs> just staying, 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 staying like, home. Yeah, yeah, we're staying here. Um, yeah, we were debating going back, and I, we kind of both want to, but I think logistically it's just going to be too difficult because mm-hmm. um, we still have the cats that we need to find homes for, and we can't really – um expect somebody to cat sit that many cats for us. Um, although my mom took four away. Um we still have eleven total in the house. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So seven kittens and then three uh, adults. Oh my God. This is so much. I'm like we'll <laughs> ship to good homes. I know, right? <laughs> my mom did find this good organization that we're gonna try and um like connect with and see if they can help us where they can Um, pay for their medical stuff and we'll just continue to take care of them and they'll vet the people to make sure they get really good homes. That'll
1: be so helpful. That's my
0: biggest worry because I'm so in love with these cats. They're the sweetest, most just wonderful kittens in the world. Like, for real. So I just want them to have good homes.
1: Yeah. And honestly, that's something I want to do as an upcoming episode. Maybe one of our lighter ones is talk about adopting animals in LA (sighs) with the like dog adoption cat adoption craze of covid yeah
0: that would be super we interesting we totally talk
1: about personal experience and then your experience with all the cats it yeah we completely
0: have accidental we did not sign up for that we were trying to foster two cats and then ended up with uh what is it 13
1: pregnant mamas Yeah. two pregnant
0: mamas with yeah 11 teeny little brats
1: it happens and you just don't know what's coming. Mother nature.
0: <laughs> yeah, one day if you have cats and they start to gain weight and you're kind of like, hmm, you're really fat. Like, maybe don't consider that they're getting fat like we did. Only, I just thought.
1: Only foster skinny cats.
0: <laughs> no, them, that's so sad. Um, <clears throat> no, but just definitely expect it, especially because when we adopted these cats, when we took them in, they were really skinny, really tiny. So we just thought that they were like obsessed over their food. Like we're like, oh, how cute! Like, like so sad they didn't have access to food outside, and now they have access to food, and they're like, they're filling their bellies up, and Aww. then one day, tiny meows in the in the closet oh, no. will tell you that they weren't fat, they were pregnant. They
1: were hungry for a good reason.
0: Yeah, their babies were hungry. Yeah.
1: Speaking of food, I didn't ask you about your Thanksgiving. Oh,
0: right. This is post-Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, Nestor is such a good cook, and every time he cooks, I truly am just like...
1: like this guy, just like, boop, 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 cooking in his kitchen at home. Like, does his daily job, whatever. All because so his modest. parents didn't want to cook for him. <laughs> exactly. so modest, so humble, just loves food. It is beyond amazing. He's so talented. It is beyond. Like, can we plug Nestor for a second here yeah okay chef in hollywood chef
0: and i think it's chef in hollywood yeah 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 yeah. um check
1: him out he posts pictures of his food it's visually delightful it's mouth-watering like i i'm drooling (laughs) just thinking about it
0: also his food it looks simple but the taste is like you are ratatouille eating that grape and cheese or strawberry and cheese or whatever it is and You are having your brain dance in your head. It's
1: a brain dance. And he's, he's pretty experimental. I would say like he tries incredibly experimental twists on how to cook food, how to prepare food, how to, um, like add flavors to things with like a process. Like he told me about like, what is it? His, his meats that he like air dries. Like,
0: Oh yeah. I see. I have no idea. (laughs) It's so funny when I try and explain to other people, like the processes and like the the techniques that he does like I don't know I don't know how to explain them yeah I guess he like air he air dries me
1: I know it's <laughs> he's, wit- it's he's so gonna, wild he's
0: gonna be like that's not what it's called that's not
1: right um like he's just so creative and every time we eat there it's it's incredible his food is so incredible like I I want him to start a restaurant because I want to eat there all the time
0: I know so yeah
1: so what did he make for you guys
0: um again it was like it's like the simplest like he he made um uh stuffing obviously traditional stuffing but it was incredibly delicious um obviously no meat in there because i don't eat meat um but he also made like turkey breasts i guess for like him and my mom um I can't speak for how good they were, but like my mom was like, "This is the best thing I've ever eaten," wow. and obviously Nasser, he's so humble, he's like, "Yeah, this is good." <laughs> um, and then he made a pumpkin pie from scratch, oh of God. course, uh, so from the say, from the pumpkin itself. Really? Yeah. Did you say
1: there was like marshmallow? Pie? Oh,
0: okay. What no, that that wasn't. No, that was on the deconstructed sweet potato casserole. Oh I God. didn't know he was gonna deconstruct it, and I don't think he knew either until he plated it. It looked so good. So all it was was he took marshmallow fluff instead of marshmallows and torched it so you could take the sweet potato and, like, get as much marshmallow as you want, basically, and kind of, like, scoop them together. Oh, my God. I want to say the sweet potatoes that he made, he just, like, cubed them up. But I want to say he just had, like, maple syrup, cinnamon, and, like, sugar, and then, like, something else. Mm. Like, it was so simple, but it was just mind-blowingly good. I think he has a really good – um he, he knows how much and how little to add of each thing to make it taste different. Even though like if you, if the three of us, you, me, and Nasser were cooking the exact same thing with the exact same ingredients, with the exact same teni- techniques, his would always be better because he knows, he knows. I don't know. He he speaks to the food, and the food speaks back to him. Like crazy experimental during COVID. At one point, I was like, "Baby, you got to pull it back." Those two, of them, you're putting like 18 flavors at once, and they go together, but my mouth doesn't know what's happening. And then he started to focus on the individual flavors, and that's when I was like, "Whoa, you blew my mind."
1: I think that's the trouble any artist struggles with. Like yeah, channeling that energy of just like so much exploring, so much creativity, it's coming out of your pores. Exactly. Like, get that in check. And that's why you always need a good partner to kind of get that in check. Yeah, but I think that
0: experimenting allowed him to know exactly what each flavor does. I think it was a necessary part of his like, journey.
1: Oh yeah, hands down. Yeah. So today we're gonna talk about food. Yeah. Maybe a little different sides.
0: Ooh, we're gonna get a little deep. We're gonna get a. It's gonna get a little dark. Um, but, <laughs> it's gonna get so dark. But that's the reality of life. Yeah. Um. And if we can't acknowledge that, then how can we expect anything to improve for the people who live in in those uh like poor conditions? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important, even though it's it's a bit of a difficult conversation. Yeah. For for part of it, the whole thing won't be too heavy. I don't think. I don't but think so. It will be informative, and it will hopefully encourage you to take action where you can.
1: That's right. So we thought that the perfect time to do this episode was between two major holidays focused around eating. Yeah. The time where we sort of forget about those who aren't, you know, fortunate having those same yeah. luxuries. And
0: exactly. Who don't who don't have to decide between eating one extra piece of pie or skipping it. Mm-hmm.
1: So we're getting into that today, and uh, we're going to hopefully give you some avenues to link up with some cool organizations and maybe contribute. and if you're feeling
0: in the giving, spirit, in the
1: giving spirit, we'll try to help direct your, your giving. So stay tuned. Yeah, let's get into it. All right.
0: Welcome back. Hey guys. So let's get a little let's get a little deep, a little introspective. So the topic today is about food, but more specifically, we wanted to talk about the inaccessibility of food, mm-hmm. um, and more specifically, food deserts and what is a food desert. So we did a little bit of research on this. Um, Ashley, do you have a quick definition of what a food desert
1: is? So the term typically describes a neighborhood that lacks full-service grocery stores. Um, it refers to a built environment that's generally, uh, pretty low in fresh food options. So they generally don't have restaurants, farmers markets, you know, things that have fresh foods and they're usually pretty dense in high calorie, highly processed junk foods and fast food options.
0: Yeah. So even deeper on, on that explanation, the the only accessible food is fast food, liquor stores, um, convenience stores, very small convenience stores. We're not talking like Whole Foods or Ralph's that you can drive to around the corner. Um, so these places typically don't have um, those types of food in their area.
1: Yeah, so basically, like we said before, we wanted to talk a bit about food, specifically in L.A. during the season of eating And we wanted to highlight some of the kind of darker sides to, to a city that's typically known for amazing food and fresh foods and people who love their nutrition and love their
0: foodies come to LA foodies. uh, This is, we have hundreds of, I mean, maybe not hundreds, but we have a lot of talented Michelin star restaurants and, and restaurant owners here. Uh, it, it's definitely a, a mecca of really
1: good food and restaurant experiences. Absolutely, but And I've never met so many people in my life who care about their nutrition and what they're putting in their bodies, and you know the greens and, and the specific diets that people have. And here. The smoothie
0: shops and yeah. things like that. Yeah, and there is
1: nothing wrong with that, and we love that, and we are here. We today participate to, in that as well to support that because everyone deserves access to clean food. Um, nutritious food but that's just not the case so like we said that food deserts that's the big definition for this podcast and that is kind of what our interest is surrounding so there's a lot of food deserts in LA and LA County
0: yeah which is kind of interesting because it's like that's not the first idea when you think of LA when you think of LA you think of food being everywhere on every corner and that's just not the case Um, and even specifically in South LA I know that's the Uh, one of the worst uh, cases of food I guess like being of a food desert
1: totally and I think actually by definition for food deserts you probably have a lot of food deserts too in the the richer more affluent areas as well but it's just not a problem because people have mobility they have transportation they you know getting in a car isn't a problem to right to like so people your, who live in
0: Malibu right yeah. they they live that luxury of exactly. of not having the access because they can go wherever they matter. want or yeah. they can have somebody else go get it for them there's yeah so
1: in a sprawling city like LA it's actually filled with food deserts but it's really only a problem for those people who lack mobility they don't have you know the They're, these resources. are usually low
0: income people who don't have any sorts of transportation Um, and I guess when we were looking into this earlier, uh, we were wondering like, what is considered like the radius of something that's like local. So we're talking like a mile, like 20, 25 minute walk, walking distance away. Um, so if, if you don't have that within your access, you might be living in a food desert.
1: Yeah, exactly. So studies show that most people will eat within their quote, neighborhood and that neighborhood is I mean I think there's many different definitions out there sometimes they say two miles but usually it looks to me at least that it's about a mile so like we're saying people are going to eat within that one mile radius most of the time because that's the most accessible to them so it really matters and it really counts for a person's health and nutrition based on where they live and what they can actually get access to
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Um, we were discussing earlier about, like, the types of grocery stores that are in specific neighborhoods and kind of, like, um, the juxtaposition of having, like, really, really high-end grocery stores like Erewhon. I know. In these, in these areas. So it's, like, the fresh food is is there, but it's not accessible. And that's what is like heartbreaking. Um, And it's not something that we consider all the time because we're like, oh, if they have access to food, they're fine. But that's not the case. Like just because they have uh, food doesn't mean that food is is benefiting them. And Ashley, you were talking earlier about the medical field perspective as well and how you're seeing that um, firsthand.
1: Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things going on here that are super important. So one, I think we're kind of living through the the new age of food gentrification so we're seeing grocery stores with excellent foods and nutritious foods pop up in these lower income areas but they're so ritzy and they're so expensive that they're not actually servicing the communities that need them you know the Irwan market down the street from my house is in this kind of you know neighborhood that's suffering right now there are vans there are buses there are tents there are people that are struggling and it's like 10 feet away from the Air One parking lot and I just think that's kind of upsetting and offensive. yeah
0: I would also eventually and we probably don't have time to discuss it today but I would like to discuss food waste eventually because I mean, I used to work at a grocery store, my very first job when I lived in Georgia, I worked at a grocery store, and I saw how much food we were just throwing away, and the excuse was and fresh food, good food, not expired food. And the excuse was, "Oh, we can't donate it's it because we'll run into it. exactly," which yeah. is completely fake. That has been disproven. It's that's not true. So, <laughs> if you work in a job and that's what they tell you, like come back at them with some facts because that's that's not that's not accurate, and that is super harmful and like really selfish and just does not help the community whatsoever it's very money focused yeah
1: it's again kind of like we talked about in episode one with like the greenwashing and the uh getting rid of products so that other people can't have it it's it's a selfish mentality um from the medical perspective as well um you know we see a lot of people coming in from uh the communities that we we service in San Bernardino, Um, not everyone, but definitely a number of patients we see come to us with um, questions about birth defects, for example. And we know that people who have children with birth defects can have a number of factors that have been at play to to cause a birth defect. So um, unfortunately, some of it's genetic and some of it's environmental and a big part of the environmental factors that play there are what a person consumes and what a person puts into their body during a pregnancy and unfortunately something that a lot of families and women pregnant women don't have control over in this region you know in la county in the sort of greater southern california area is access to good nutritious foods i mean it's one thing for it to be affecting an adult it's another thing for it to be affecting a child or an unborn child and unfortunately, food quality and how people eat directly ties to their health, directly ties to um, comorbidities, like chronic conditions, like type 2 diabetes, for example. And these things are causing, um, you know,
0: suffering suffering yeah. in people and
1: people are having children um, with poorer, poorer health outcomes due to... Access or lack of to nutritious foods.
0: Yeah. So I want to spit a couple numbers out because I I think this is really important um, to put in perspective. Um, So in LA County, one in six people experience food insecurity. Um, That's, that's huge. Um, I think what I was reading earlier said um, that that is equivalent to the entire population of the San Fernando Valley. Mm -hmm. So just to put in perspective, how many people, so it's, it's not just like, people in these concentrated poor communities it's people that you know that you sit next to on the bus or that you pass by on the street the people who look like they're fine but truly they're not they're they're having to deal with something that's um truly sad and um yeah not anybody should have to deal with that Mm and in the richest country in the world like um i i think that's that's wild but even sadder um sorry guys, Um, but one in four Native Americans um, experience food insecurity. So one in six in LA County, but um, in our nation, one in four Native Americans experience food insecurity. Um, And that is entirely um, because of location. And um, yeah, like we said, food deserts, concentrated areas where they're just not accessible.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it also has to do with um, a number of like societal issues around how the city is run and, and how people can access resources. And of course, just historically, um, you know, populations that have historically not had access to things, racial differences. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, I was uh, researching the L.A. Food Bank and just kind of looking up some statistics there. Um, so I'd like to share this with you guys. Um, this is from the L.A. Food Bank, and they update these statistics annually. So th- uh, this is the newest um, uh, information. So they distribute 1 million pounds of food a week um, and 1 billion since 1973, which is when they started. Um, nearly a quarter of L.A. Food Bank clients are under 18. So that's, wow. that's really sad. That's shocking. Um, the largest age group um, is between 30 and 49, and that is 26%. Um, 63% of these people are Latino, 12% are Black, 11% are Cajun, and then the 14% they just describe as other, um, so Pacific Islanders um, or Native Americans. Um, and this is specific to LA. Um, they also specify that the, their most desired items are fresh fruits and vegetables meats and dairy. So not the canned food that you're asked to donate all the time, not the non-perishables, like actually fresh food. That's what they desire the most. And that's what they're asking for.
1: Yeah. And we know that the canned foods are great, but the, the nutrition that you get from these leafy greens, from these fresh fruits and vegetables, um, you know, good quality protein sources that can go a long way. And it's hard because you can't just dump your cans out at the, the food bank. You have to make a conscious choice to pick up fresh food, fruits, fresh foods, fresh vegetables and take them there. So it, it does require a bit yeah. more of we'll a leave concerted a, effort.
0: We'll leave, as always, we'll leave some links in the show notes, um, not only our audience. research and the pages that we've looked into, uh, but we'll also leave some links for donations. And um, we'd also, at the end of the episode, we'll invite you guys to donate with us to some of these charities.
1: Yeah. So one thing... I was really curious to learn more about, and in typical Ashley fashion, (laughs) lots of research, um, was, you know, these food deserts exist. They are prevalent. They are causing racial, ethnic disparities. They are the, you know, the evil factor that causes all these problems and leads to different health issues as well, like we mentioned. How did they start? Why did this happen? Um, So, of course, I could have done research forever but some basics um basically what i learned was that in the u.s they you know these food deserts occur in in all major cities i mean they are everywhere no one's escaping this this is not la specific but it was because of the growth of large chain um grocery stores large chain supermarkets that tended to spring up and grow in the um, outskirts of the inner cities. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people traditionally living in the cities where there's more access to resources. And as the city gets more affluent, these sort of food resources are coming on the outskirts. So really you're giving access to the affluent areas, those people who can afford the the areas outside of the city because they have transportation, they can get there, they can get from the inside of the city to the outside of the city. Uh, and those supermarkets were offering better quality foods, a variety of foods, and a variety of prices.
0: Yeah, and we were reading earlier, too, that it's quite difficult to start your own grocery store. Slash, right. banks will not give you money. They, they are not fond of independent grocery stores. So that creates a very difficult situation for these uh, insides of these communities who are trying to make change on the inside.
1: Exactly. So you're left with this kind of, like, inner city area where individuals want to access that traditionally like accessible healthy food that's always been there. But with all of those uh grocery stores popping up outside the city, the little supermarkets in the city can't compete. So they're shutting down, people aren't having access, and that's how we end up with just kind of the convenience stores. Yeah. Convenience stores, the local like corner stores that just can't afford to stock all of those options. Yeah, exactly. And so like Katie said, we're wondering well you know with the fast foods for example are those just sort of the byproduct of a food desert they just left over or or are other people capitalizing yeah on are, the are they
0: is it like a perpetuating situation
1: yeah so that that was something we were curious about and we're going to dive into in part 3 um, but basically what we noticed is a lack of transportation say someone's not you know able to afford a car they can't afford public transit or they just flat out have mobility problems they just can't get out to those, you know, more nutritious options. So you're left with people sitting in these food deserts and struggling to to get access.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and these food banks that they rely on, um, the majority of the people who actually visit these food banks are people who have homes. I it was something like eighty something percent of the people who are regular uh, patrons of these um, food banks they they have homes and they live with, you know, I want to say like one to two other people. I think the average house, um, household who visits these food banks is about three people. So, um, again, it's not just somebody who's living in some random, like a uh, low income area. These are your neighbors that are, that are struggling with this. Um, and again, in America, we, we shouldn't be having an issue, uh, with food, especially, uh, there's plenty of it. There's plenty to go around. There's more than enough to go around. But the issue is providing nutritional uh, foods.
1: And I think also equitable access. Like I think there's been a lot of you know, the buzzwords are like equal access. It's not really mm-hmm. equal access. If we give everyone the same thing, people will benefit in different ways. If we give people equitable access, so we give a little more to those who need more, we give a little less to those who don't need it, then we can divide our resources more equitably. So
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: I think, you know, food deserts... Um, coming from just sort of the byproduct of how our cities formed how los angeles formed and grew is one thing but i think we also know that this is not just kind of happenstance we know that there are historical discriminatory practices in urban development we know that there is discrimination in bank lending in how, you know, these shocker, (laughs) how these smaller companies are able to start up and to um, help their neighborhoods. And often it's lower resources for people of color and it can be in home and business ownership. And it's another thing that just perpetuates the cycle of keeping that food desert there. Exactly. So people are struggling and people are relying on these food banks.
0: Yeah, and um, in this next part, I do wanna highlight um, some of the people on the inside who are making changes, because that was my biggest question, is are, are these communities doing it to themselves? Is it all internal where the, the owners of these franchises are, are stuck in this loop that they can't get out of? Or is it somebody on the outside who is basically forcing this lifestyle on them? Um, and from the research, we can tell that there are a lot of, um, individuals and independent companies that are on the inside who are trying to make a change. Um, and we'd really love to support them. Um, but we'll call them out on the next epi- on, on the next, uh, part of this episode.
1: Yeah. And I think one other thing I want to mention and just continue to highlight is kind of that, um, crazy dichotomy that LA has and everything like LA always has like the bright side and the dark side and food is no different like you sort of said the gentrification of food in LA is so stark yeah you have those of like membership stores like Irwan where you can sign up and you can get this luxury experience with uh, you know shopping for all of your foods it's like a market and there's also a coffee shop and then just down the road is a little rundown store that is struggling to stay alive and is the mainstay for yeah who's been
0: there that. for like 25 yeah. years who's who, who, basically generational um yeah that they're being pushed
1: out um even throw in an apple from walmart i don't know probably a little bit cheaper and i don't know if the quality at least to taste into the the eye would it be a lot different
0: yeah exactly um
1: maybe I, nutritionally it would be nutritionally
0: i think it would to some extent but again it really depends on the produce and how it's affected. Like a banana, it has like such a thick skin around it that that's the pesticides won't affect a banana
1: as well. Right. Now you're talking about like di- the dirty, the dirty does Yeah.
0: Yeah. The dirty doesn't. Yeah. I'm like, where, where did I get that fact from? Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think it's interesting that. Um, the cheapest places to get your food are food subscriptions, which, again, mm-hmm. becomes m- least accessible to the people who need it the most. So if I were to order groceries off Amazon Fresh, I'm going to be getting them, like, dirt cheap, but I have to have an Amazon Fresh membership to be able to get that. Yeah. Or same with um, uh, HelloFresh or any of these other, like, box subscriptions.
1: Yeah, these are not, like, cash transactions.
0: No. Yeah.
1: Like, you have to have credit. You have to have a credit card. You have to be in an area that they deliver to Yeah, them. you have
0: to have an address. You have to... Like, everything. Yeah, So.
1: and for some people, like, we're not saying that everyone who is nutritionally deprived or suffers from the experience of a food desert is, you know, homeless. We're No, we're again, that's what I said. That's,
0: that's exactly what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Where it said 80... I want to say 80-something percent of people um, who visit the LA Food
1: Bank have houses. So... But there's also those other things where maybe not everyone who lives in a house is going to be able to do the. Food they can't budget. Or... They
0: can't have a budget for that, right? That's why they're relying on. I mean, they're, these average household incomes are, um, ten thousand dollars. That was the average household income. Was so, it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and in order to have a quote livable. Uh, income in LA. According to LA, it's thirty six thousand. That's not livable. No, that's super. Also not livable. But also, imagine like if that's what they consider livable. Somebody yeah. who's living off of ten thousand
1: dollars a year is really sad. I mean, even if you're living off of what do you say, thirty six? Yeah, that's that something's gonna give in your daily. So you
0: you don't something. you don't have the room in your budget for that. You have room in your budget for whatever is at your corner store. Yeah, and, and imagine that's, if you
1: have children.
0: Like, yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's what I was saying earlier. The average household is three people, so that—that's, I mean, you would imagine one of those is a child, and if nearly a quarter of the people who visit the LA Food Bank are under eighteen, I, I mean, you have to imagine all of the children. There are foundations like No Kid Hungry that kind of combat those things, um, but I think it's it, we can't just say, oh, the sad children, let me feed the children. How are we going to prevent these children from growing up in these circumstances in the first place?
1: Well, how are we going to break this cycle?
0: Exactly. Why don't we go ahead and get into part 2? Let's let's do or I guess part 3. Let's do our Q&A. Yeah. I have got questions. Me too. Okay. Let's do it. Join me then. Cool. Hey guys, it's Katie and Ashley. Hey. So we're here to tell you a little bit more about how you can support the podcast. Yeah, so if your Apple podcast platform is not already open, go ahead and open that up. Go to Coconut Grove Podcasts and not only rate,
1: but leave us a review. Yeah, so if you go in there and write something for us, that helps a lot with the metrics, helps us get known, helps us help you exactly
0: and for all of december we're giving away four gifts to uh reviewers so if you would like to be one of the lucky winners of one of our december giveaways the only way you can enter is by leaving a review on the apple podcast platform yeah so get
1: on there write us something quick positive or negative hopefully positive and we'd love to hear your feedback cool let's get back into the episode thanks
0: I guess there's, like, this scene in Wolf of Wall Street where, um, Matthew McConaughey's character does, like, some weird, like, chest bumpy thing. <laughs> Apparently, that's, like, his, like, acting warm-up, and they thought it was so weird that they were like, sure, just let's doing... film it.
1: Is he just, like, getting his lungs warmed up? I like, guess. Bam, he, like, bam, bam. beats his
0: chest. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the movie in years. so I don't even remember the scene, but... Yeah. Are we recording this? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Um, cool. So let's get some serious faces on some serious vibes. Yeah. We're back from our, um, lunch break. We We were literally shaking. shaking. (laughs) (laughs) We'll probably cut it out, but I have this moment where my brain just like completely malfunctions on me and every thought just left my brain. I'm like, um, and then there's like, 20 seconds of I was silence. Like that all I was just like, uh huh. Uh-huh, <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. I, did my, I, I needed to reboot. I needed to hit the reset button on my brain. <laughs> I just so. need a little
1: more glucose in yeah. my
0: own body. Yeah, we're both fe- feeling better and ready to kind of wrap this episode up well, uh, with some ready questions. Ready to
1: really dive, dive into these nasty questions and then yeah. tell you how to make a difference. Exactly. So, I think the one we were interested in the most is if we're thinking about food deserts and we're thinking about those areas and what kind of food people have access to you know they still have access to food um maybe it's like chains not always commercial chains but you were really curious to know a bit more about like who are the owners of these stores Did yeah you get any answers on that
0: um so not not specifically it is pretty vague and honestly probably for a reason um but yeah my biggest curiosity was and this is something I mentioned in the earlier part. Um, what, who, Who is controlling th- these food deserts, essentially? Like, who is behind the reason? Is it kind of um, this cycle in which the communities can't get themselves out of? Or are they stuck in, in their own loop um, just by way of what we have set them up for? Or is it something that's um, continually being pressured, I guess, by outside sources? So... I guess, like more concise, like who's owning the franchise? Is it it the guy who lives inside the neighborhood or is it the guy who owns 12 of them and he's living in his mansion? So there's no clear answer to that, at least from the research that we had done. Um, Well, not generally
1: speaking. Like I'm sure we could look up each franchise owner, but it's not going to answer the general question.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, We could get specific on that, but I don't don't really think that's helpful. Um, So in this research, I... I wasn't finding anything that was so um, like leaning on the people inside the communities owning these franchises and owning these stores. A lot of the times it's the people in the communities that are trying to add new grocery stores that are trying to add more options and they're struggling. So that kind of leads me to um, think that, for the most part, these franchise owners are not inside the communities, exactly. um, because it, it seems that these communities are actively trying to fix it and they're running into roadblocks. So I I want to highlight um, specifically one business um, in LA, yeah. which she is helping specifically in South LA. Um, so I'm gonna read straight from this USC news article, just because I feel like it's uh, more concise than I can put it and. Um, cuts to the point. So um, I'll link this entire article in the show notes, but I just want to share her story. So Javon Sanders wasn't a rat. Her enterprising spirit was burning bright, but she couldn't muster the courage to leave her job as a bus driver. It's the kind of decision many entrepreneurs wrestle with prior to taking the leap and turning their idea into a career opportunity. Sanders used her time as a bus driver to conduct unofficial market research. Um, surveying her regulars, jotting down notes and business ideas on her notepad during breaks. One day, she couldn't find healthy eating options anywhere near her South LA route. She realized she was in the middle of a food desert and what that meant for her community. So through her market research, Sanders learned that people from her community were actually really interested in having healthier options nearby. So I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. She began making salads for her friends and colleagues, starting with her signature apple cranberry walnut salad To her surprise, they wanted to pay her to make them regularly. So she started stashing away the profits from these initial sales to help her get into the Bridges to Business Success program, uh, which is the program that helped um, fund this opportunity for her. So basically, when COVID hit, her hours were reduced and her bus position got eliminated. So like many people in COVID, they were left with a decision um, are you going to do the thing that you know you have to do, the thing that you're passionate about, and the thing that you know is going to help your community? Um, and so for her, that was an obvious yes. Um, so she opened her business, Toss It Up Salad, in South LA, um, and she has partnered with local vendors like the Alma Backyards Farms um, to support, um, sorry, to source their uh, fresh and locally produced um, produce. Yeah, so that, that was just a, a quick... Um, like recap of what she's doing in her business, but I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit.
1: That is so wild. Um, So what's this girl's name again?
0: uh, Javon Sanders. Javon Sanders. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but it's J-A-V-O-N-N-E, Sanders.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Yeah, so this is a prime example of somebody in the community who's seeing something um, in her community, who's seeing her neighbors and even herself not being able to find these options. So um, basically she was left with, are, are you going to do something about it? Or... Um, are you not? So uh, it's kind of sad that we have to leave it into the hands of these community members. Um, but she did take the initiative and, um, is creating uh, healthier access to food
1: in so her community. When we say it's like kind of sad that we have to leave it in their hands. Like, I think it's almost, it's super empowering. It's
0: definitely empowering, but it, it, nobody should be left with an option to say
1: like, how come I... How come nobody in my community has equal access to food? It's, yeah, so it's more like it's super empowering to have this self-governance over how your community is doing, but it's really unfortunate the situations in which people are forced to, you know, work in these situations. Like, you're you're coming to a point, just excuse the snorting in the background, that's my dog.
0: Yeah, we had cats in the last episode, but this one we have a dog. We love animals. We love
1: animals, we just can't escape them. Um, okay, thank you, goodbye. Uh, so... You know, it's it's super empowering for people to have governance and control and leadership over their healthy access to foods or their access to healthy foods. But it's really unfortunate that people are forced out of, you know, difficult circumstances desperation. and desperation mm-hmm. to have to come up with these collectives just to give people basic needs, to meet people's basic needs, right?
0: Yeah. So I'd like to kind of shift this on to you, Ash. Can you tell me a little bit more about like... Um, The locations of these food deserts, like, is it dependent on income? Is it, I mean, we kind of touched on that earlier, but uh, is there a trend in which you see these food deserts, not just in LA, but like nationwide?
1: Mm. I mean, I think that all major North American cities end up having food deserts, to be honest. I haven't done research outside of that. Um, I think they're easily formed within the inner city. I think that, you know, anywhere where there is a lower-income community mm-hmm. is going to be at risk to have a food desert just because of the inequities faced from, you know, how so neighborhoods are built.
0: Do you think that cities are the only, like, major cities are, are the only places dealing with this? Or do you think that there's, like, um, more of a shock in which there are, like... um I guess what i'm trying to say is it's like we have whole foods at the same time we have food deserts we're
1: a big city but like somewhere in the middle of yeah i think like kind of like we were talking about before we started recording um food deserts are everywhere but i think that they wear a mask in you know these richer places so you know you asked me do you think there's food deserts in in the hills do you think there's food deserts in bel-air well yeah i think they're all food deserts i don't think anyone's going to like a healthy food store in their neighborhood but that doesn't matter for a person who's rich Mm -hmm. you know if you live in the hills and you have to drive 30 minutes to get to your whole foods or your Irwan, like you probably don't care right like that's just a part of your day you're out Or you have it delivered or maybe you have a delivery because like the delivery cost is nothing to you and you have that on like (laughs) a rotation like that's already being set up by your personal like shopper so that's the thing is they exist everywhere it's just they're really detrimental to people who rely on walking they they rely on their feet to go get their food and people shouldn't feel like that's a problem that is how we've been for millennia like walking to go get your food it's not so much to ask to have some healthy foods within walking distance
0: yeah absolutely um yeah so earlier you were talking about um like, city growth. Mm -hmm. And do you think that these food deserts are, um, they're happening more because cities are growing? Do you think they're happening less as cities grow? Um, I, I mean, for example, like... Um, Austin, Texas right now it's becoming a, a hot spot for people to move into as, which means that the city grows, um, as new people move into it. So I wonder, um, you know, for people in Texas, right? Like, are they going to be seeing these things more as the city grows? Is that just like a natural, um, like trade-off with city growth? Do you think? Hmm.
1: That's an interesting question. I think like, obviously I'm only as good as the research I've done, but from what I've read... It looks to me like as the city grows, the food deserts grow too. Mm. And sure, I think more and more stores and healthy options are coming up in those little deserts all over the inner city and the outskirts. But I think, I, at least from what I've seen, it appears to me that they're still inaccessible because the things that are coming up are, again, gentrification. They're gentrified stores. Yeah. So they're not really addressing the problem you know?
0: Yeah, that's true because it's like even when you have these like hyper independent, hyper local um, supermarkets come up, for the most part, they're also kind of expensive. Well, they're small, selling really
1: premium products. Totally. And they're like, they're capitalizing on this like gentrified neighborhood. They're capitalizing on food trends. The food trends. They're people who are self-funded. These are like people who already have successful stores elsewhere or already are a brand of you know, successful chains, and they're coming into these areas. And yes, they are providing healthy options. Like, don't get me wrong, there's some amazing. It's not that the yeah, that's areas. not the
0: issue though. The issue isn't that the healthy options aren't there. We don't
1: need to have a turmeric latte smoothie <gasps> when we can't even just go give apples and get a, to our neighbors. An and a yeah, and like, you know, just some milk for under three dollars. Like, it's just. It's so sad. Yeah,
0: but also, I do want to highlight that, like, it's not that these people aren't... Like, again, it's not that they're not having access to food whatsoever. It's that the nutritional value of the food. So it's not like they're not having access to, like, a salad or something like that. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But a salad from Seven isn't necessarily going to cut it. Um, it's not going to provide what you mean, the, n- the amount of calories that you need. It's not going to be nutritionally balanced.
1: Like, ask yourself this, too. Like, if you had... In your neighborhood, like I don't know, a couple of takeout places and a Seven Eleven, and maybe you had a grocery store, but it was like a forty-five minute walk. Where are you going to eat? You're going to eat yeah. at like the Seven Eleven or the, the corner store. And imagine
0: your phone is dead. You have your your car it broke down. Your phone is dead. You can't order food. You can't go drive to get the food. And now you're forced to use the two legs that you were gifted with. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> um,
1: but like, when you get to that store, are you gonna like get a 7-Eleven salad? I don't think so. That does not sound trustworthy to me. You're gonna go for the hot dog because at least you know that's cooked. Exactly. exactly. I don't know. It's just like it puts you in a situation. That-
0: exactly, exactly. And I guess I kind of reminded myself just now, like accessibility also, <laughs> not everybody can walk. Not everybody can walk themselves to the grocery store. So uh, this comes down to city planning. Are there sidewalks that people can use their scooters on to be able to get to the grocery store or to get to the bus, right? So those are other things that, that need to be considered um, in general with these food deserts. It's, it's not just is there food, it's how are they getting their food, how can they get food, uh, especially for the people who have the uh, least access to it.
1: Mm-hmm. So from your reading, you did a bit of reading on food banks and stuff like that. I'm just wondering, are food banks like Accessible to all these people in food deserts, or are they also in locations? They're that, trying.
0: Yeah. I think, at least from the LA Food Bank that I was looking at, um, they partner with a lot of other companies to help distribute the food. So right. the it's dis- not it's not just exactly. So it's not just one building. It's not just one large place where you can go get your food. They're giving them to churches. They're giving them to other nonprofits and things like that, so that people can have access. The issue is what's being donated. Again, is still. Um, high calorie, low nutrition.
1: Yeah, so um, what are the things that the LA food banks are asking for the most right now?
0: Um, the number one thing they're asking for is fresh fruits and veggies. So fresh, yeah. um, that's what they specifically say. Um, I, I want to say the first was fruits and veggies. The second most important was meats. And the third was dairy such as eggs, yogurt, milk, things like that.
1: So basically, you know, with the traditional donation of cans, like those are things that people who are struggling already have access to, right? Like they're fairly affordable. Exactly. A they're can of green beans places. is 25
0: cents. That's, that's not stopped
1: in the shelves at yeah. those convenience stores. So
0: there's always a bucket. You can drop off a can at, at a grocery store chain or a, um, a church. There's always some sort of donation like that, but that's just for ease mostly. And I mean, kind of to make you feel better a little bit, to make you feel like you've donated. Um, But at the end of the day, coming from the food bank itself, from their mouth, they're
1: saying, we need fresh
0: produce. So I thought that was interesting.
1: That's super interesting because I didn't know that. Me neither. It's super logical if you take a minute to think about it.
0: Well, because it's like every time there is some sort of opening to donate food, they always specify non-perishables. Um, but I, I wonder too, and I, I probably would like to do a little bit more research on that specifically, like perishable versus non-perishable donations. Um, but I wonder if that's just easier for the person to collect it, not for the, um, actual donation of it. So like if you're collecting, let's say, um, a supermarket is running a food bank collection, you can put in a can to the box and they'll donate it. Realistically, they're probably going to donate that. At most once a week, um, like and I mean, probably more realistically, like once a month, if they're donating that. Yeah. so obviously the food will will not last in that box that's sitting out on the floor in the supermarket. So I just wonder if logistically, that's the reason why non-perishables pushed so much on th- for
1: us to donate. I think it could be that. And I think maybe um, donating fresh food is gonna still be a challenge. So maybe donating, Monetarily, So you're giving money so that the food banks can operate. They so can that they can that find the food.
0: resources. Exactly, exactly. Um, I want to touch on, I had a question for myself earlier, is it's like um, when I was running into this story of um, this woman who was trying to open a supermarket in her community, yeah. she ran into the issue of... Um, not being able to
1: find the support through banks you said
0: you said like um,
1: funding was really hard for her to get started. She right? couldn't.
0: yeah, so not only were were uh, the banks not allowing or not willing to fund a supermarket, they especially did not want to fund a local one right um, so w- kind of in that, I wanted to know like, well what what supermarkets are actually doing good? <laughs> um, so I did find this article on PBS. again, I'll link this. Um, but I found this, I found this, uh, chain to be really cool. So, um, Jeff Brown is a fourth generation grocer, uh, in Philadelphia. So, um, they have seven supermarkets in food deserts around Philadelphia. So they specify that they're in areas, um, of food deserts. Um, and so, they picked
1: it that they wanted to set up in those correct. areas.
0: Yeah. Ooh. At least from what I understand. Um, and this, uh, supermarket is called shop, right? Um, And they're not just in Philadelphia. They're actually in a couple of other states. Um, So um, they are a cooperative. There are 48 other entrepreneurs um, that operate these ShopRite stores um, from Virginia to Massachusetts. And each operator tends to be of the local area where they know the local area. They're from the local area and they benefit from that knowledge. And each store is customized to that area that it is serviced. So, that is directly from uh, Jeff Brown himself. Uh, those are his words uh, from this PBS article. So, I find that to be so incredible because you have somebody who um, is from uh, generations of having a supermarket where maybe food deserts for generations ago weren't really a thing. But you well, have. They so- were, well, they, they were overlooked. W- sure, they were overlooked. It, it wasn't, um, there wasn't so much pressure to change as there is now. Um, but then you have somebody who's already in the grocery store world who could have turned away from the issue and could have been like, we're just going to be the Erewhon of Philadelphia, but they decided not to. Um, and so they specifically service local areas. And I love, love, love that there are, and this is exactly why I was having this question earlier, like who is inside operating, who's inside owning these uh, franchises or these chains. Um, and this is a perfect example of somebody who says, we only want to make sure that the people running these grocery stores are in the inside. So if Jeff from Philadelphia cannot run, um, the, the store in Massachusetts, at least he knows somebody, um, that is running that store in Massachusetts is actually from the area who knows the area, who knows the people. I, I find that really awesome.
1: I think, uh, self-sustaining projects can go a long, long way. Like, if you get, yeah, the community to run that for themselves, I think it will address the needs much more accurately. Always. Yeah.
0: We'll leave uh, We'll leave his, uh, uh, this PBS article link as well as the link to his grocery store. Um, so if uh, they are in your local area, um, I, I think I would recommend supporting them.
1: Yeah, I would say take a look. Let us know how you um, like them and see if you agree with some of our feedback on that. Um, so, I think something that I just want to highlight from a useful LA specific um, resource for food and healthy foods is the goodfoodla.org website. And this seems to be sort of like the umbrella, the Los Angeles Food Policy Council, sort of like the umbrella company or umbrella organization that helps to manage a lot of these grassroots foundations and food banks that are trying to make a change and make a difference in LA and LA County. Um, So they have a lot of really useful information that we've read through ourselves to educate ourselves specifically on food deserts, specifically on some of the facts of those who are, um, you know, needing this extra help and the communities that uh, need that help and how we're giving back. So it's a really cool place that you can go and look and read and learn. And you can also get engaged on there. They have a lot of interesting projects. Um, so how actually, how would you
0: recommend somebody to um, help in this situation? So say somebody from uh, Arizona is listening to this podcast and they know the food desert close to them. What can they do um, if if they have the resources?
1: Well, I mean, I think... There's a couple of things you can do, and I think it's kind of the same for any <laughs> any problem that's in your community. I think you can donate money and you can donate time. And whatever resource you have to give, you should try to give. So some people have money and they don't have time, and some people are the opposite. So if you can give one of those resources that you have access to, I think it will go a long way. So if you give money, you can actually help some of these charities and these organizations that are working as a grassroots company in the communities or simply the food banks. You can give that money and they can buy healthy, nutritious, fresh foods that are needed and not supported by the canned donations. I would also like
0: to bring up that we... The stats that I was reading were specific to LA's food bank. So check your local food bank and see what they specifically are asking for. Um, they might have a surplus of dairy. that They don't need dairy. So I would just check with them... Um, Absolutely. Bef- yeah. b-
1: before making any sort of uh, decisions. Totally. And I think uh, if you don't have money you can also give your time, I think.
0: What are some ways that you could give your time?
1: Um, some, some boots on the ground. Um, so honestly, there's so many options. I'm just reading through them on the goodfoodla.org website.
0: It, can you just like volunteer to work there and help distribute or um, are there any other alternatives?
1: Yeah. So it seems like there's a couple of things where you can go and volunteer your time. You can volunteer at different uh, companies trying to get good food out into the neighborhoods you can also volunteer at food banks at um, shelters at you know soup kitchens people delivering hot meals Um, but it also seems you can sit on boards and you can provide your insight and your expertise if you're someone who's knowledgeable in the area or someone who wants to be knowledgeable in the area or
0: just like generally cares about your community
1: yes so it seems that there's a couple of different boards that you can join through this website there's one i'm looking at right now called the good food economy working group And this is one that provides healthy food, jobs, and economic opportunity. Um, And it is specifically targeting to be inclusive of historically impacted communities. Okay,
0: great. So, yeah, that was something that we were talking about earlier, is the majority of the communities that are impacted are not white.
1: Exactly. So this is, I guess, part of the LA Food Policy Council. They're hosting this working group. And it's to foster cross section collaboration, supply chain partnership, and service uh, brain and heart trust for strategic planning for the larger LA region. So um, they're basically just trying to foster, you know, a full growth of this community and all of these um, supporting jobs so people trying to get healthy foods into the community, trying to source the foods, trying to serve the foods, trying to regulate the foods. I I would say they're trying to make a full infrastructure um, that's sustainable.
0: Yeah, that's great. Before we dive into a fun Q&A, we want to end this episode with something a little light and fun. Um, But we also, um, it is the season of giving. um, And because this was an episode that really weighs heavy on Ashley Nice Hearts. Um, we don't want to just <laughs> tell you what to do. We also want to participate ourselves and kind of be the leaders in this. So um, we we would like to invite you guys to donate, uh, help us donate um, to these uh, foundations. What we are hoping to do is do a two to one fundraiser. So essentially for every $1 that you donate, we will double that up to $200. Yeah. Cause we're small podcast, small budget. Um, but Ashley and I would really love to be able to match your donation and double it. So what you can do, um, is, uh, send the donation to paypal.me slash coconut
1: Grove. Is that yeah. right? uh paypal.com slash paypal.me slash coconut grove
0: i think you can just do paypal.me you don't have to do the full thing yeah um but yeah so we'll link that in the show notes as well so um send your donations there um we we will provide receipts for each of the places that we donate to um, on our instagram page um so we would really love for you to participate in this season of giving and help us uh provide accessible food for the people who do not have access
1: yeah it's really appreciated. And of course we would love to donate to some of the people that we've highlighted on our show. Um, maybe work with some of the groups that are being sponsored by the LA food policy council that I mentioned, and some of the organizations that they're trying to get up and running. So that's where your money is going to go. Um, of course we'd like to make some donations to the food banks.
0: Yeah. So, um, Let's let's end this on a light note um because I I want to I want people to feel empowered and educated but I also don't want to be the reason for a sour mood. So, <laughs> let's end with some fun questions, Ash. Okay. What are some questions?
1: You so, have? a very a, important question that I want to know is your favorite burger joint in LA. Which will be hard because you're a vegetarian.
0: Yeah, so I'm vegetarian um slash I don't love dairy because it makes me feel gross. Um, So as far as convenience goes, In-N-Out's nice, but it doesn't, they don't have like a veggie burger, but they'll do like a grilled cheese is what they call it. So they just like remove everything. I mean, not everything. They keep everything, but remove the patty. So you're getting the taste of In-N-Out, but without the burger, I think it's really delicious and it's only like $3. so So cheap. So if I just want like a quick taste of a burger, that's what I'll do. Um, as far as like a veggie burger goes, I honestly don't think I found a place that I'm obsessed with. I'm curious about Monty's Good Burger because I follow them on Instagram and apparently they're like the greatest burger in LA. So stay tuned on my honest review on that. But, um, yeah, I truly, I don't, I don't love burgers because I feel like sometimes vegan places, vegetarian places, like. Like, they just, I was like, saying like, like They
1: just, like, take the meat right out, and that's
0: it. Well, and it goes one of two ways. Where they get too weirdly experimental, and they put all this weird shit on it. And I'm like, I didn't, like just, like, I want, like, it to taste like McDonald's, but the not meat. come from a cow. Like, that's it. What's so hard about that? What's not clicking? Um, but I'll make an Impossible Burger you like at home. Impossible Burger? Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. Yeah. What about you?
1: Oh. Okay. Um. It's hard, but I... I think one of the best burgers I've had is the place called Shaka, Shaka Burger. Shaka Burger, like Shaka,
0: burger, like 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 Shaka. Shaka. yeah. I, <laughs> I wish you guys could have saw that. We, we literally did this, the, like, uh, what is it, hang loose the size? Hang size. <laughs> the
1: time. Yeah, I think that's my favorite. That that That's a pretty good burger joint. Is that here in Venice? Um, I think it's in Santa Monica. Oh, okay. It's like by the airport. Um. Okay, now curious minds want to know, Trader Joe's, what do you love what do you hate <gasps>
0: everything about trader joe's is literally perfect i don't have any complaints about that place anytime they come out with something weird and new i try it i don't i don't care uh, as long as it isn't like from an uh like as long as it's not meat exclusively i'll probably try it um i saw this tiktok once that explained trader joe's food like Um, as if an alien was making food for us and they were like, hmm, I think humans will like this. Let's make this food. Birthday cake flavored popcorn. That's what humans like. Exactly. And it makes so much sense. Exactly. I I can't explain it any better. That's exactly what Trader Joe's is like. It's just an alien made food and they thought humans would like it. And the humans
1: are like, yes, we do. Thank you, aliens. So we got something. (laughs) We got something that's like peanut butter flavored Cheetos. I was like, okay. What? Oh wait, those are actually good. They're the uh, peanut butter puffs. Yeah, I think they're kind of weird. I, I mean, I can eat a few and I'm like, okay. And then I'm like four or five down. I'm just like, this is, I feel sick.
0: <laughs> you know, what's super underrated, but delicious there. They're single origin coffees or they're like, um, they're not always single origin, but they're like, they're seasonal coffee. Every oh. like month, I want to say every like four to six weeks, they come out with like a new blend of coffee from some other local farmer. I mean oh. not local to here but you know what I mean some small farmer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um and it's so good. I I think for $7 the bag of coffee, really good coffee is such a great price considering like in LA it's like $20 now to buy a bag of coffee which is Oh my god. Bonkers. <laughs> it, to be fair, coffee is becoming one of those um like more difficult to produce. Um like beans, I guess it's a bean, but it, it's becoming quite difficult to Are produce we, because of the cl- uh, climate change. Because of climate and yeah, just resources.
1: Yeah. So
0: it makes sense, but that's what it, yeah I love the Trader Joe's coffee. Yeah.
1: So Trader Joe's is on your roster for weekly groceries. Where else do you shop? Um,
0: <laughs> Whole Foods. Oh, <laughs> the truth comes <laughs> out. The truth comes out. <laughs> Okay, so I, ha- I really love Whole Foods um, a lot. I-, I don't have that same love for Erewhon that I see other people have where they're like, it has everything weird and perfect. <laughs> it's- it has everything weird and perfect, but I also I found the exact same things at Ralph's for like half the price, so yeah. I'm not committed to Erewhon. But Whole Foods literally does have things that I cannot get elsewhere. Um, Such as? Uh, oh, the Tara-, Tara chips? Is it Tara? Terra is it taro maybe oh, um, they come in all they have like a bunch of other chip, like other types oh. of chips they're like vegetable chips yeah, yeah yeah. they have one that they only come out in the winter time i oh, tarot yeah okay I, I haven't found them i, know what I is. haven't found them in weeks i think i bought all of them <laughs> from the store oh. it is the <laughs> it is the sweets and apples uh, bag, and all it is is half sweet potato, half apples, and cinnamon, and a teensy Ooh, bit of sugar. It's Like, delicious. barely barely any sugar. Very, It's mostly just sweet from the apples, yeah, yeah. but it has, like, a ton of cinnamon on it. Ooh. Oh, my God, I eat a bag in a sitting. It is so good. You need to find, like, that's the thing. I can only ever find them at the fancy ones. These are not, like, fancy chips whatsoever, but the sweets and apples one, I can only find in the fancy grocery stores.
1: That's a problem. You get something you really like, and then you have to, like, drive (laughs) to go go. get the special thing that you know you love. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say, for the most part, I get my groceries at Trader Joe's. I'd say, like, in order of where I get them, it goes Trader Joe's, Ralph's, to Whole Foods. Whole Foods is, like, I'm going to spend $80 on five things that I've been craving. But I don't do my regular grocery shopping there.
1: No, we're... What about you? We're kind of like a costco like we go and we get like i always forget about costco i feel like i do
0: want to go back to costco because i saw this tiktok this is not food related but i saw this tiktok of this girl who's like they have these corduroy jackets over there for like 30 dollars. you have to go get them i'm sure they're sold out by now but they were so cute and really? i was like i need to go to costco i need a corduroy jacket i want a corduroy jacket like that
1: <laughs> yeah we do like we do kind of the basics like um milk eggs we'll get like some chicken breast some salmon couple of nice like, veggies like bigger bulk veggies and then we'll go to Trader Joe's and get some of the like weird and wonderful like frozen meals and yeah. snacks and little bits and like sauces and things like that yeah and the then, flavors the wine do you get your wine there get wine there now yeah we're, yeah. we're convinced we also get wine at Costco though we've had a pretty good six I would, rate with that I would
0: believe that Costco yeah. definitely has excuse me a wider access yeah
1: to- yeah so it's like a mix of those two and then on occasion, we go to Whole Foods. Like, that not milk that we had earlier. Oh, yeah. That was that was really good. So good. Not milk. It's like coconut, almond, and I feel like a little bit of macadamia nut. Really good. I want to plug them. I want them to be a sponsor. They are not, unfortunately. But they are at Whole Foods.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ashley and I are also both, like, dairy-free-ish. Um, very allergic to cheese and dairy yeah the older I get the more sensitive i become to it so I used to say I could never be vegan because I love cheese so much but like that's not the case anymore I'm like it just doesn't make me feel good
1: I feel horrible yeah
0: Yeah. what is is the uh, food you're most looking forward to this Christmas
1: oh well my okay there's two things so well my mother's cooking is amazing first of all first and foremost but Honestly, and my mother has been so surprised since I was a little kid. I have loved my grandma's like Christmas pudding, like those traditional like mincemeat, like oh, uh-huh. suet in a bowl, like flip it over and it's a little dome thing. And very <laughs> English.
0: Very you know, it's so funny. Mincemeat isn't even meat. It used to be right, but it's not
1: meat. I don't know what it is. Fruit? It's, it's fruit. Isn't that yeah. so weird? Yeah. And I don't like mincemeat tarts. I think they're disgusting, but the, this this Christmas pudding that she makes is to die for. And always my mom's like, oh, I've made dinner and I've made dessert and it's so great. And then the next day we go to grandma's house and she makes that. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's to die for. I've been waiting for this for all year. And my mom's like, excuse me? Yeah, sorry. I
0: offended my mom the other day on Thanksgiving. I was like, um, oh yeah. I was like talking to mom and Nestor while they were over for Thanksgiving. Well, Nestor lives with me, but you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: um, Nestor came over. Nestor came
0: over um, from work. Cause that's where he lives now. Basically. <laughs> <Feels> like <it. laughs> Um, yeah. And I was telling mom, I was like, oh yeah, mom, I text dad to ask his, uh, like potato salad recipe. And cause I, I was kind of like craving it this year. And she was, she was like, what do you mean you text your dad about that? Like, mm. I was like, sorry like was I not like is this sensitive should I just not bring it up and she was like you don't know do you I was like what do you mean she's like that's my recipe I just put your dad to work and I was like genius she was like I just needed him something to do I
1: needed to get those hands busy and out of my way and
0: then it it became his thing like from from most of my memory of him of of having a potato salad at thanksgiving my dad has always made it At least to memory that's so funny so i thought it was really funny my mom was just like excuse you who's potato salad <laughs> which makes sense also because like sorry dad but he doesn't have like signature recipes um my mom's family has like recipe books so it makes sense that it would come from her but um yeah it's okay i like the way that my dad makes my mom's I think it's potato salad <laughs> Which is just, like, basically a ton of mayo. I like to put pickles in my potato Me salad, too. though. Yeah. My yeah, dad doesn't like pickles. Around-ish. Yeah, he doesn't like that. Oh, so it's not that. the only thing that I feel like is lacking in his. Mm. But he wasn't here, so I added it myself.
1: Saving the day with a pickle. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we want to give you guys... Um... Kind of like a little bit to take home with you today and to get excited for for the next episode. So hopefully this episode has brought you down and built you back up and then you're not feeling too bad about yourself. You're not feeling bad about yourself, you're feeling empowered to help others, which is yeah. the only thing we want you to do. And if you come from a community like the ones we've been talking about today, we would absolutely love to hear from you because we would love to learn more and probably correct some of the things that we got wrong. We would love to interview anyone who's experiencing this kind of um you know food desert or is working in an area that is making a change or who could honestly just provide like
0: personal perspective totally. from the inside I think that's the most valuable thing to us and that's kind of the most difficult part of starting a new podcast is we can't always have the resources we want sometimes we're gonna have to do it ourselves but yeah. when you guys so bear help with us out us. yeah bear it, with
1: us join along and um yeah we'd love to hear your opinions and then Uh, hopefully the next episode that we've been working away like busy bees in the background is going to be really great and super seasonal. Oh
0: yeah. We'll give you a hint. We're thinking of titling it. Ho, ho, ho.
1: That's the only hint we're going to give you. So you can make your guesses on the Instagram page and let us know what you think. And, uh, yeah, get excited. Um, so last, last closing remarks, just remember you can donate for our food, Um, efforts for the season on our PayPal, which will be linked on our Instagram account. And don't forget to rate, review, review being key. Review is the key. Review gets prizes. And you will be entered into our draw. We have four this month and we will see you guys in the next one
0: yeah um just make sure to check out our show notes for any sort of links and mentions that we had uh we just want to make sure we give credit where credit is due um so thank you guys for listening to episode four so amazing i'm getting chills (laughs) um cool we'll catch you guys in the next one thanks Bye. bye